episode 306 of the Sleeper in the Bust. It is Friday, February 5th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, we're finishing up yet another week. How's it going? It's good. It's good. You know, every Friday feels like uh, you've been sprinting all week and you just got there. And, you know, there's also that like, oh, it's Friday. Let's do something. And then, you know, for so long I've been like, well, no, it's Friday. Let's just go yes. to bed. I'm, I'm there currently. <laughs> I am going to go to the movies tonight, but um, I'm probably going to take a nap after this. I am I am beat. I, I totally hear you on that sprint to the to the weekend, and I kind of end up, you know, in terms of like an off day, I basically take Friday evening to about Saturday midday off. You know, I don't know. going to go to the movies, going to probably sleep in tomorrow. And because of the time it is, we get right back That's to work thing. on Saturday. Right on that midday Saturday, I'm right back at it. Going to work pretty much until I go to my sister's for the Super Bowl. That'll be another little break and then back at it. And I'm not complaining. I, I, I do love the off season, But just because I'm not complaining and I enjoy it doesn't mean it's not a grind. But uh, we got to bring ahead. you Friday episode and we got to talk our favorite thing. We got to talk pitchers. We're going to definitely get into that. Uh, we revisited the outfield ranks last week where we, or last episode. We're going to revisit the starting pitcher ranks because actually you didn't even get to be on the original one. That was Jason and myself. So we could feasibly talk the upper tier, but we're going to, we're going to talk beyond the top 25. I got a handful of guys ranging from, you know, still pretty good studs to all the way down to sleepers that I, I want to get some thoughts on. Uh, and we're really just going to hit on that today. going to be a little bit of a leaner episode compared to what we did just the other day. So hopefully you guys are kind of enjoying the longer ones as well as the ones that are a little bit tighter on time. As always, please follow us on Twitter at Sporer, at Enosaris, E-N-O-S-A-R-R-I-S. Really appreciate you guys following us there, asking us questions. Those are a great place to get keeper questions answered if you want to do anything like that. Or just engage with us on quick one-offs. Obviously, if it's you know a big question, send it to sleeperpod at gmail.com. Haven't done episode, uh, haven't done emails for a couple episodes, but we're going to do a full email episode at some time soon. So keep getting those in. Keep rating and reviewing. You guys are crushing that. I really appreciate all of it. We're at full five stars right now, 307 reviews, 268 of which are five stars. Really, really appreciating that commentary that uh, all of you are giving us. So please keep that up. And, you know, I want to dive right in. I, I just I want to dive headlong into these starting pitchers. You know how giddy we get when we get to talk pitchers. And, uh, you know, looking at our SP ranks, I don't know. You know, if we had a phone number for Fangraphs, I think that uh, Adam Wainwright might call it. You know, I think uh, everyone – or maybe not. Uh, but a lot of folks are familiar with Adam Wainwright calling in to SiriusXM to kind of give him a little bit of the business about where he was picked in that FSTA draft. I think he was like the 22nd pitcher off the board going in the seventh round. And, you know, he was jokingly kind of giving him some hell about it. But, uh, you know, I look at I look at – him i look at wainwright and i see that he's 26th on our list and i get it you know because the skills are still there in terms of he doesn't walk anybody so he maintains that good strikeout rate minus walk rate but the strikeouts are coming way down yet the results are unaffected era and whip are still tremendous fip x fip sierra all backs it up as wainwright still being a quality pitcher my concern at age 34 is if he can't give you 210 or, or more innings, then those Ks are really going to keep him from being the stud-level pitcher. How are you evaluating Wainwright coming off of that Achilles injury last year, but also finishing the, field, uh, f- finishing the season on the field 
um, and age 34? Are you, are you someone you're targeting, someone you're laying off of? How do you feel about Adam Wainwright? <clears throat> yeah, it is a little bit weird. I mean, the, the, the strikeouts are definitely – and swing strike. I mean, they're, they're both – they're all down – you know, off of a peak that kind of came from 2010 to 2013. That's when he had his best swing and miss stuff and his best strikeout minus walk rates and all that. Yeah, he's been on a different level, you know, since the beginning of 2014 when he dropped below 20% for the first time in four years in terms of strikeout rate just by 0.1. But still, you know, that's that's not an arbitrary number either because 20% is basically league exactly. average. So, you know, he, he dropped below league average uh, – Way well before his injury in 2014, and then he was even worse last year in terms of swinging strikes and strikeouts. So, you know, I <clears throat> I know that he's got great command and he's got a good park for suppressing home runs. So he's and you know he, honestly he has good FIP. So it's not like um, di, you know you're betting against dips if you're betting on Wainwright. But I just think that you know 34 with uh stuff that kind of makes you wonder how he does it a little bit. Sure, it's not it's not uh, overpowering a, except for that that hook. That 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 curveball is a hook, right? killer, but it's not generating the strikeouts that it used to either. Right. So I I I mean I think that he'll probably have a, a soft landing, but I just I'm not going to bet the fans, you know, the sub 3 ERA I just can't. I can't get with that. Maybe a little bit better than Steamer. Kind of a wishy-washy answer saying in between the two, but uh, I'm not going to go and say he's going to be right back to where he was, sub-3 ERA, you know, 1.05 whip, seven strikeouts per nine. I just don't think that's very, you know, reliable, you know. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, here's the thing. I'm betting against Wainwright while having a feeling that, that it could go wrong. You know, sometimes you bet against a guy you feel pretty confident. You're like, listen, I just I'm not I'm not in on these skills for X, Y, and Z reasons. With this one, I'm avoiding it because I just don't want the risk of a 34-year-old um, with a declining strikeout rate at the front end of my rotation. Now, again, there's always everyone has their price, and if the market is valuing him kind of the way uh, that we did with the 26th ranking for Adam Wayne, right? Well, maybe I'm a little bit more back in at that point, depending on how the front end of my rotation looks. You know, if maybe if you've got a little bit uh, less risk at the front end and, and you're willing to just kind of get those innings, or maybe if Maybe it's the other way. Maybe if you have a little bit more risk of like a, a Noah Syndergaard who, you know, we're not certain that he's going to go for a 200-inning season. Steven Strasburg, with the injuries that he has uh, always been suffering, we don't know that we're going to get 200 out of him. Maybe then you do bet on a Wainwright thinking, you know what, I'll get 200 innings. And if long, as long as he doesn't get hurt, I think the worst case is like a, a, a 350 ERA. You know, it, it doesn't have a lot of implosion potential outside yeah, of him getting hurt. There's some – there's some injury risk there sure. too, though. I mean, it's, I know it was an Achilles, and it seems like a freak thing, but Achilles pops because he's 35. You know what I mean? It's not exactly. It starts. The body know, starts to break down. 25. The Achilles doesn't pop, so I, I, he doesn't. I think that he could he could find himself hurt in another way, maybe an arm this time. You know, just I doubt that he's a, a he's a good fit for 200 innings. I think where I would use him is if I had. Uh, a high strikeout guy as my ace that I would, you know, I think there's some worry about Carlos Carrasco's innings. So I guess I'm, I'm with you. I think you would kind of use him as an innings, as an innings safety guy. So like if you had Carlos Carrasco as your ace, 
you know, I doubt he really has an innings limit, but he might not go to like 220 or 240 at least. I mean, he's probably going to, you know, be more like 180 to 190. And and if that happens, just with some skipping, you know, skipping around the all-star break, skipping near the end of the season, that sort of stuff, not any sort of hard cap. But if Carlos Carrasco is, is only at 180, 190, then pairing him with Wainwright would be really great because you get all of Carrasco's strikeouts and where Carrasco's risk is in ERA a little bit because of his command. Wainwright's risk is a little bit more about innings and uh, strikeouts. So that, that that pair together would be kind of interesting, you know. So I think, yeah, Syndergaard would be a similar situation. Don't know exactly how many innings they're going to get of Syndergaard. They've talked about going to a six-man already a little bit here and there. So they're going to protect Syndergaard, but he's going to have tons of strikeouts. So Wainwright's a good pairing there. But if you pair him with, like, Another guy where you're not so sure about the strikeouts. Uh, Granky. I don't know. Was uh, that? Zach Granky. You know, he, he's, he's got yeah, the front line skills, yeah. but. Uh, or like a Lester or, you know, that seems like you're, you're kind of got a high floor, maybe like a Lester Wainwright one, two has what feels like a high floor, but you know, I'm not sure it does because they're older and then you don't really have any ceiling that you're getting. Yeah. Out I of don't want two, two guys like that. Yeah. I'd rather have a pre-peak guy. And Wainwright and and sort of mix my risk around that way. It's something that I've come to for a while. I used to only draft basically Carlos Carrasco types and just only got, get guys with upside. But I think it's it's good to have guys with different profiles on your team. And I, I I've been kind of getting in a lot into that these last couple of years as well. Like legitimately building a staff. Obviously, we're building a staff in a different way than a major league team. But there are puzzle pieces. You, you don't necessarily want to go for all the same types, even if they are kind of the the best talent available. Maybe this next guy that we're going to talk about would also be a good fit. Uh, he's not on the high end like a Carrasco, but but he's a risk and uh, the upside is there. But we saw last year how it can go wrong for somebody like Michael Pineda. The skills were definitely there. He got good strikeout rate at 23%, killer 3% walk rate, but the implosions were really bad for Pineda, and when he got beat, he'd really get beat around, and he wound up with a 437 ERA uh, with a 123 whip. Couldn't strand runners, you know, kind of a mirror image of, of what he did in 2014 where he had an 80% left on base rate. It was down at just 69 last, last year, and that's not nice. No matter what you guys say, it's, it's just not mm -hmm. nice for him to do that. But I do like those base skills. We're talking about a 12% swinging strike rate for Pineda. He's got that those skills, but also major injury risk. Uh, so again, you can maybe pair him with somebody like Wainwright if you're talking about the high floor versus the potential high ceiling. But how do you feel about Pineda? Because we're not even going off of a good ERA last year. It's kind of ugly. I think his price will be a little bit depressed. There are some folks who are just kind of moving away from him. We're about to be 27 with Pineda. Where do you stand? I don't, you know, some people have asked me about dynasty things and whether or not this is the time to trade him. I don't actually think this is the time to trade him because 160 innings, I don't think, is enough to erase the memory of his of his injuries. Exactly. And I don't think that the ERA was good enough. I think there is another gear for him, uh, mostly based on a little bit of home run suppression and a little bit more trust in his changeup. So I, I think that there's a little bit more that you have to wait for in terms of trading him. Uh, that said, of course, there's a lot of risks there. And, you know, another, another piece of risk for him is that his, his velocity has been very inconsistent. I mean, he when he was right, right, you know, back in 2011, he was over 94, 95. And was a, just a hard thrower. When he first came in this year, he was throwing like 90. 
um, in April. And I was like, so worried about it. I just, I just thought this is, this is the post-surgery guy, but you know, he got that up to, you know, 93 ish in June and July, but then it fell off again at the end of the season was more 92. So, you know, he, he has a, there's a little hump in that velocity um, thing. And then also just like uh, he, he trusts his change up a lot more than he ever had before in the early goings, uh, throwing it 10%, you know, almost 20% in August. And then, you know, the last couple of months down to seven and 3% again. So, you know, he's a really weird guy in that his fastball has natural cut on it. And, you know, it's labeled as a cutter, but it's you know more of a cut fastball. And, uh, you know, with the cutter and the slider, those things go in that direction. And he doesn't really have a lot of arm side direction. No, the, so the, the change sometimes when it's really on can get some of that arm side. But uh, you're right. Two pitches kind of going the same way uh, away from righties and into lefties with the slider, unless you're going back door with the slider. Uh, I hear you on Pineda. And by the way, he's a good example of size does not equal durability. It can help. But, uh, you know, it does not equal that. You're not guaranteed that you're going to stay upright just because uh, you got monster size. He's 6'7", 260, and injuries have just plagued him throughout his career. Uh, 171 innings in 2011, then missed two seasons entirely, just 76 innings in 14. And then even just 161 last year, even, even last year uh, in a fullish year, still missed time. So he's, he's, he's big risk. Honestly, I'm kind of surprised that um, I thought his price might be a little bit lower in the market. He's the 46th pitcher off the board in NFBC, pick 167. That's not egregious, but I would have thought maybe with the with the 437 ERA and the and the good not great uh, 123 whip. I, I I don't know. I thought he would have been a little bit more discounted, but that's where the Yankee tax comes in, and the fact that you know it, you don't have to be a sabermetrician to realize that he had the good skills that we mentioned at the outset: 23% strikeout rate, 3% walk rate. So. And, and we, it's obvious that we like him. But I mean, you were right on almost NF, 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 NFBC ADP. <laughs> but uh, we as a, as a group had him at 30. And uh, so that's, that's considerably ahead. And I think that's, that's a representation of his stuff in that, you know, he's still for the year had a 92 plus mile an hour cutter. So that's above average velocity. And that cutter got 8% whiffs, which is good if you consider it a fastball. And the slider, 20% whiffs, which is good considering he threw it almost a 1,000 times. And uh, the changeup threw 300 of them, had 18% whiffs, best he's ever had. And in terms of movement, it does have 8 inches of arm side movement. So in aggregate, it looks good. But, you know, I remember early in the season, he was 91. And I don't want to remake a point here, but, you know, he was he looked a lot different and the hope here is if you take him another year out from surgery, more innings and uh, and more consistency on the stuff. To your point with, with Pineda, though, um, about how he kind of looked early in the season, you could honestly pull out any one of his 27 starts and you don't have any idea what you're going to get. The consistency piece was a real big issue for him. I mean, he he made the point perfectly on uh, five days apart in May when he had the 16 strikeout effort against Baltimore and then gets ripped at KC five days later. 
you know, and, and I know that that happens to guys. They can have one good, one bad right in a row, but it really just perfectly uh, at both ends of the spectrum accentuated kind of the way Pineda was. And there was a lot of that, you know, uh, fast forward a month later, six and two thirds, one, one hit, one run, nine strikeouts against Miami. And then Philly of all teams blasts him for eight runs, 11 hits and three and a third five days later. And that kind of inconsistency is what led to a 437 ERA. He's somebody that I will not get out of draft season with, with zero shares. I've got to get at least one or two because I do believe in these skills. Uh, and there is a lot of upside, but I'm not going to stock up on him because I think there's enough injury history and inconsistency that, uh, you know, th there's no guarantee that those skills, those base skills, those FIPS are going to start to come to fruition. Let's and if you and if you compare him in the American League only sphere, which I always come back to a little bit because of AL labor, and I've, I've got to start thinking about what I'm doing there. If you compare him in the AL only sphere, you've got the the obvious upfront guys: Chris Sale, David Price, uh, Corey Kluber, Mike Pelfrey. A lot of NL guys. A lot of NL guys. Felix Hernandez probably represents the back end of that. Hernandez and Keuchel. Maybe you start a new tier. You know, maybe you don't. Archer. Uh, those are kind of aces right and Car Carrasco and then I think you know Cole Hamels uh, maybe is the end of that or maybe is the beginning of the next one you have Masahiro Tanaka who I think belongs in a tier with Pineda because of his injury concerns and Danny Salazar and Sonny Gray who has sort of strikeout concerns and then Garrett Richards who never has given you the strikeouts that you thought given his stuff so there's kind of a weak, it's kind of, I would say, almost like a weak secondary market, second tier there point. where, you know, I don't, it's not really that fun. Like, I don't really, there's no name that, like, I think Danny Salazar, in, in, of all those names, is the name where I'm like, if I'm going to take a number two and make him my ace, it's I was, Danny that's, Salazar. I was going to say that, though, because he's going to front some people's rotations in AL only, so <clears throat> he might be in that second tier, but I think he's going to be pushed up into that first here by almost by default that's a great point I didn't realize that we talk about how deep kind of the front end is uh, with pitching and obviously we're always focused on the mixed league once you start breaking it down by league the AL definitely comes up shorter uh, probably not 12 probably not 12 aces no. you know that's the thing I like to say is that there's enough aces that you can get one of the last ones and still have an ace in the National League it seems like there are 12 aces I mean it does there's just more. There's more options, and it, it, it helps, of course, to strike out the pitcher and the easier league and all that. But it's just the way that pitching works right now. You know, Noah Syndergaard, and uh, you know, I don't know, Tyson Ross, Johnny Cueto. That is probably around 12 for for the National League. You know, and so if I had Noah Syndergaard <laughs> as my ace, I wouldn't be that. That wouldn't be that no. sad. But in the AL, in the AL, like you know, I may want to, it may be the year to kind of pay a little bit more and get one of the top guys so you stay out of that second that second group or um you know it, you know I might usually kind of go for two out of the second group but that that second group doesn't like you know take me by the lapel and and shake me loose you know so that's, yeah uh, I'm, I'm looking at this now just that. at my rankings and that's a really good point just at my uh at my top 12, only three of them are from the American League, Sale, Kluber, and Price. Yeah. And then you get a little group right after that at 13, 14, and 15 with Carrasco, Hernandez, and, and Archer, respectively. But, yeah, you're making a great point there. That's going to be something that you have to look at in AL only. And then on the other end, uh, when you start getting into relievers, it completely flips. The AL is unbelievably stacked 
with with mm-hmm. stud closers, and the NL is definitely light with Kimbrell and Chapman both coming over to the American League. So maybe it's a situation where uh, you make up some of that gap at the front end of your rotation by locking in a Wade Davis uh, and a Zach Britton or something. Maybe you get some crazy elbow move there where you're, where, where you're doing the back-to-back picks, and you get two of those stud closers. If your if Salazar is your ace or something, so it's going to be a lot of interesting strategy when we get into the only leagues. And this guy, this next guy we're going to talk about, could be a key player there. Although I'm certainly a little bit uh, bearish on him compared to everybody else. It's you, Darvish, coming off of his Tommy John surgery. Obviously, didn't get to pitch at all last year. I went down with Tommy John in mid March. They're targeting a May return, which is about 14 months. I don't know. I think there's I think there's a lot of aggression with uh, a lot of aggressiveness with the the ranking of Darvish, and I don't share that. I, I'm I'm a, I'm nervous. I love you, Darvish. I hate being down on him. I want to be wrong. I want him to come back and beast right away. But we know that uh, when you're returning from Tommy John, the one thing that kind of takes a while to get back into place is the command and control. And his was already a little bit, uh, you know, not great to begin with because he's got such nasty <laughs> stuff. And and you know sometimes he as well. Sometimes it's kind of his own doing for Darvish, but a lot of it is the inability to tame just filthy, filthy stuff. I think Garrett Richards has the same issue at times where it's less about being wild and it's more about, wow, my stuff is so filthy that it, it just moves a lot. Where do you currently stand with you, Darvish? Because again, the, our rankings were kind of all over the map. I was the low man all the way at 74, and then uh, Zach was the high guy at 21. I, I I would guess you're somewhere in between, but where do you stand on you, Darvish? And, and when do you think he really comes back and starts making an impact? Well, it takes, we've talked about this before about spring training. It takes them at least, you know, four weeks, I'd say, to stretch out. So even if, and Danny Salazar told me that, that the Indians don't let you stand on a mound competitively and throwing until 12 months have passed from your Tommy John surgery. And I feel like that's actually been happening more and more for teams around the league. I think we're starting to see longer recovery times to try and get better outcomes. Jeff pointed that out to me uh, on Twitter the other day. I can't remember who we were talking about, but he said, you know, teams aren't, aren't doing, uh, they're, they're, they're saying minimum of like 12, 13 months before you're even getting a shot to, to go up there. That's why I feel like it's aggressive to have him coming back in May for Darvish. And then the expectation is that he just gets going right back onto the Darvish level. And I'm just not sure. Well, that happens. You know, I, I'll take May. I'll take May because, you know, March, March to March is 12 months. And then, you know, uh, stretch him out through April. Basically I, I, I could see okay. May. Um, that would still be, I would say conservative. I mean, some guys have rushed back much faster than that. So I think that would May's okay. Uh, May means you know five sixths of a season if they're comfortable just letting him you know setting and forgetting basically with with him in the rotation. So that would be you know I don't know I think like 150 160 innings would 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 work all right. But uh, there's a risk beyond that. I think you're right. There's not only the command risk, but there's an there's this other thing that, that people don't talk about too much. Jared Parker told me. That when he was rehabbing, you know, they told him not to throw his slider for a long time. He, he Jared Parker, he of the fourteen Tommy John surgeries, right? So they just, they told him they told him just you know put away that slider, and it's part of the rehab process. Your fastball, fastball, fastball. You 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 only throw fastballs for a long time, and then at some point you start mixing in other stuff, and usually you start mixing in changeups before you mix mix in fast. Uh, uh, 
slider. So there is an industry-wide sort of link between stress on the elbow and sliders. I mean, they, they, it, it, it's implicit in this idea that you shouldn't throw the slider when you're coming back. So, you know, I do think that that's interesting in the case of you, Darvish, because he throws like the most breaking balls of anyone. And he, he throws like three sliders and a curveball. So I would say that, he, you know, he has like four breaking balls that make up you know, almost 40% of his repertoire. So he's, and, and that's a feel thing, right? I mean, if you have, if the sliders has one of the biggest uh, scatter plots, if you, if you, if you sort of look at different pitches at, at, at their X and Y movement and sort of group them, the, the, the slider is one of the biggest scatter plots in baseball because it's, it's hard to actually command, you know, it, it's not, it's not a big curveball that kind of has repetitive movement the same every time. It's thrown kind of like a fastball, but, you know, it has a little twist to it. So there's, there is something to the sliders actually being a field pitch. And in his particular case, it's definitely a field pitch because he's got three or four of them. So he's got to figure out how to throw that harder cutter and how to throw that, you know, the harder slider and how to throw the small, the, the, the bigger slider with the shorter, with the, with the, you know, less velocity and how to throw that big curveball and how to throw the slow curveball. I mean, that's how many breaking balls he has. So, you know, I, I, I'd give him like a three, eight kind of walk rate this year. And that could keep the whip I mean, high. That's, yeah. That's, that's not that crazy. I mean, he came into the league with a 4.2 yep. and then even in his, in his second season it was so good it was a three four, so he's only he's only had one year where he had above average con- command, and so for Steamer and the fans to give him average or better command coming off of Tommy John, I think that's a little aggressive. So, you know, I I think like a three five, three six, three eight type of walk rate, even if you pair it with ten strikeouts per nine, is going to give you that one two five kind of whip. Uh, and, a, and like a more of a three five three six kind of ERA. So a lot of strikeouts. They're going to make up for the, the fewer amount of innings. But I think a, a fair amount of walks that could turn into you know could turn into ER, earned runs in terms of that ballpark he throws in. And you know I, it all depends on on where he actually slots in the league. But like again back to the sort of you know what would I do in an American League only with you Darvish? It's it's difficult to make him my first or second pitcher in terms of money outlay. And because if I made him my first pitcher, oh my God, I'd have so much risk in that. In that, It might be one of those, you know, swing for the fences kind of staffs where, you know, you Darvish is my my ace and, you know, I have a collection of high upside guys behind him like Taiwan Walker, Lance McCullers. Carlos Rodon. And just say, hey, either I'm going to be terrible or I'll exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, that would definitely be one one approach for it. And you're going to have to pay for Darvish. He's 31st um, at NFBC right now, and that that's that's pretty high. 100 pick 120. That that's no small fee for Darvish. How about Jordano Ventura, who's right there with him? And I know Jordano has some things about extension, and his fastball is a little bit straight, and he's not as good as you know the sum of his parts and his changeup. He doesn't trust it as much. But Jordano Ventura took a real step forward in the second half really last did. year. Started throwing a fastball harder. Started started throwing more curveballs. Got a ton of whiffs. Got his strikeout rate up to twenty five percent. It's not you, Darvish, but you're going to probably get more innings. And you're in terms of sort of career path and where you're getting them in the career, you're much more likely to get Jordano Ventura's best season this year than you are to get you Darvish's best season. So, you know, I, I think just around him. 
I see guys that I'd rather have. Yardano. Now, would I rather have Taiwan Walker, Jordan Zimmerman, Colin McHugh? No, there is a bit of a tier there. But I might pay a dollar or two more to get Jose Quintana and all his boringness. His, bo- his boring know, uh, goodness, by the way. Uh, right, Jake Odorizzi, right. just a touch ahead of Darvish in our rankings. I'm definitely taking Odorizzi. Again, though, again, though I, I do not really like this part. No. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I think I may... Try and get an ace, ace like a top five pitcher, and then just peace out on all of this group here, and and come back into play right around Lance McCullers and say, okay, I've got my my stud Chris Archer, I bought my Chris Archer, and now I'm gonna put Rodone and McCullers and Kevin Gaussman, you know, and uh, you know who else, uh, just Eduardo Rodriguez, and just put a bunch of. You know, five to ten dollar guys around him, you know, and just and peace out on, you know, twelve to twenty. I, I like that. And again, I, I would also add in that I would go with the ace, but also an ace closer to kind of supplement it in case some of these uh, uh, mid tier guys that you're talking about don't necessarily work out. You're covering it with that stud closer who's helping the ratios and making a big impact on the strikeout. So I, I think that's the way to go in AL only leagues. It's going to be fascinating to kind of watch that market play out. Let's jump to a guy you briefly mentioned. By the way, this is um, accidentally almost All-American League. By the way, Wainwright was <laughs> it, and now we're all in the American League. So we're really diving into this tier. Well, you know, there's too much stock response with National League pitchers where you're like, oh, you know, moving to they the National the League. Pitcher. Oh, Johnny Cueto, moving to AT&G Park, going to be better. You know, so it's like, you know, I think it, it really is – this is the hardest place to look at a pitcher is, is in the American League and, you know, can he be good there? You exactly. Know? I, I think that's exactly what you're, what you're saying came to fruition when I was looking at these guys. Like, okay, I kind of know what he would say about Gio Gonzalez. I kind of get it where we're at with Kashner. Plus, I, I, I talk about Kashner all the time. And I just kept looking at these guys. I was like, it was the AL guys that were jumping out. We can't do any more on Rysel Iglesias right now. Well, yeah, I was about to say, no, we can't even say another thing. We're done talking about Rysel Iglesias. Hey, you know, people come in the chat and they're like, why do you like Rysel Iglesias? I'm, I'm like, like, dude. Come on, how are you going to ask me that? How are you going to – you just found me today? Okay, cool. Then I guess I'll tell you. But otherwise, get real. All right, let's talk Houston pitchers. You briefly mentioned one of them. Um, We're going to put McCullers to the side for right now because I think he's better than both of these guys, although he will probably be facing an innings limit. I expect Houston to manage it very well. Keep that in mind. Uh, But the skills are are, are superb. Do with that what you will. Keiko obviously at the top two. Let's talk about the next two guys, though. Colin McHugh and Mike Fires. Who you who are you leaning toward out of those two in in 2016? And go ahead and you know give a couple thoughts on both of them. Start with McHugh, and then let me know who you're picking. It's it's sort of amazing because they're both, you know, it's like Mike Fast works for the Astros. Mike Fast once showed that every tick of fastball velocity is worth like I forget what it was, but like 0.3 runs allowed per nine innings. So. You know, he, he's that's one of the seminal pieces of, of baseball research literature out there is Mike Fast, lose a tick, gain a tick. And it's just about velocity and gaining velocity and when velocity peaks over the course of a season. I reference it a lot when I talk about in-season peaks being in August and all that. So, you know, we have a guy who is like, yeah, velocity is really good. I proved it once. And then his team goes out and gets two of the guys who have some of the worst fastball velocity in the major leagues. 
and are they're basically just zigging when everyone else is zagging. And and even in that ballpark, they're taking homer homer risk, you know, guys that rely a lot on command well, and secondary. And Keiko doesn't exactly blaze it up there either. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's three guys who are sub ninety as a group, probably. In fact, they yeah. are as a group. They're sub ninety miles an hour. And uh, so that's that's sort of amazing and and a testament probably to the work we have not seen him do since he left the public sphere. Mm-hmm. I bet he's doing some amazing uh, stuff with the uh, access that he has now to uh, team level data. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, for one that we know for like when we're looking at pitch FX spin rates, we know that those are calculated. So pitch FX just looks at where it begins and where it ends and base and how fast it went. And basically says. Hey, you know, uh, that's what the spin rate was. But what TrackMan does, and these teams actually have this, are is observed spin rate. So it actually looks at the ball and sort of observes how often it spins. Okay. And I think it probably, I think it even gives you direction of the spin, which is really important because I just spent, you know, a long time at Driveline Baseball in Seattle, and one of the things that they try to do is match your arm path with the spin the spin direction on your on your on your ball so basically if you if you throw a ball that has spin in in a in a direction that uh isn't really uh there's a a piece by alan nathan out there about useless spin so there is a concept that like your ball can be spinning but like a gyro ball spins a lot but it goes straight and uh, so there are there are spins you can put on a ball that don't affect the path of the ball, and so therefore is useless spin. So if you match your arm path with the the spin of the the, the spin of the ball, you get the most out of your arm path out of the ball, the most movement, quote unquote. So I think that's been I think that's a, a really big thing from talking to Colin McHugh. Did an article with him, an interview with him last year. That's a really big thing for them with him. They said, you know, your natural arm path gives you. Uh, gives you ex- extension of the ball on the four seams. So you have a rising four seam. So let's, let's just cut away the sinker. Never throw that thing again. Your, your fastball is a rising fastball. Treat it as such. You throw it this way. You know, your, your curveball is excellent. We've known that from the get go. Uh, then now let's, let's kind of, you know, fool around with this cutter and see what we see what you can do there. So, I mean, as far as, you know, last year, I think that's a, a good baseline for, for projections going forward. It did take him a while to get to where he is now, Colin McHugh. So he's 28 years old, and you know, I don't think that you, uh, I don't think that he's in a place where the floor is much lower than that. I mean, he's still got 10% swinging strike rate. He's still got these these pieces he was putting together. And then what he what he's gonna what he's gonna grow from there is 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 doing a better job with that cutter slider thing, which he admitted to me he he couldn't make it as much of a slider anymore. He was having trouble making the big slider, which I think makes sense because he's got the cutter, the big slider, and the curveball. It's a little bit like you, Darvish, what I was talking about, where sometimes one of those things goes away. And that's that's sort of what happened last year. One of the breaking balls disappeared, and that's why he went from nine strikeouts uh, per game to, to 7.5, 7.6. But the, the swing strike rate was still there. He didn't give up a ton of homers despite the velocity. I, I think, you know, I think he's actually pretty much good to go. He's going to have a little Babbitt regression, I think. It was a 310 Babbitt last year. I think he can do better than that. So I, I think he's a useful guy. Fires makes me a little bit more nervous because 
he's demonstrated his floor, and it was really bad. It was out of baseball bat. That's true. I mean, it, it, you know, but and, there was injury. You know, everyone talks about how he he exploded in 2012 and then really fell off right. for that period in 2013. Okay. There was an injury piece there because he's been he's been back on track since 2014. Again, another small but but amazing run that 72 inning run and then last year 180 innings of, of solid ball you know 369 era 125 whip with a 24 percent strikeout rate i consider that panning out for fires i i was somebody who was relatively high on him i i was pleased with those returns i didn't think they cost that much you know 369 era is not winning you any era titles or anything like that in today's game but i can take i can take 180 innings of that for the strikeouts that he delivered yeah, I mean, in terms of repeat, you know, repeatability for these guys, I, I'll take it. I mean, they're they're uh, fires a little bit older at thirty, um, so maybe he has a little bit, little bit smaller margin. He also didn't have the same swing strikes as Colin McHugh, so you know, there's a little bit something going on there that might be a little bit uh, scarier. But I think maybe fires natural command is a little bit better than McHugh's. Mm-hmm. So um, that's that's where it makes them slightly comparable. And they're not, you know, mid-30s. They're pretty much in their peaks. So if people don't think they can repeat, then I'll buy them. I think they're decent, like, sort of in – I'm not looking at a value right now. I should I should probably look at a value before I say anything. I, I guarantee but, that'll be a little uh, where, where both of them are just kind of severely discounted because they're not flashy picks. And, and I, I don't think people are racing out to roster them. And they're the 51st for McHugh and 56th pitcher off the board right now for fires. That's pretty good. And, you know, they, you know, to be fair, in, a, in an MLB universe a league, they're not that sweet because I think they're, they're kind of, you know, they're going to be either 3-5 to 3-9 kind of ERA guys, right? So that's, that's not going to win you your league to, to get your fifth pitcher to have a 3-5 ERA. They're volume into plays. You're, you're feeling yeah, comfortable about play. getting at least 180 innings from both. But like in an American league, let's say in American league, uh, we've got Fires down for 10 bucks and McHugh down for 12 bucks. Um, you know, that's that's actually uh, that's actually uh, those are actually guys that I could get back in on. I mean, like Sonny Gray, we have in the auction calculator for 11 bucks. He's not going to go for 11 in bucks. In any world, he is, he's not going to go for that. He's yeah. going to double that. He's or like more. he's going to go up there in the 2021. 20, and I don't know if he's necessarily worth that because if if he's going to go for a dollar two less than Sonny, than Chris Archer, Chris Archer is going to have like 40 more strikeouts. So I'm going to go with Chris Archer. So again, you know, sorry to bring this back to AL again, but you know, I think Archer. You know, I think it goes Sale, Price, Kluber, Carrasco, Felix, Archer. Archer probably a little higher than that, but that's the group that I feel comfortable buying out of, my ace out of. And then I want to piece out on Keuchel, Tanaka, maybe Salazar, but at $18, I don't know how much upside growth is beyond that. You know, Smiley, injury issues, Iwakuma, injury issues, Hamels, first time all the way through in the American League, Hugh Darvish, injury issues, Taiwan Walker, has he even come, is he even this good yet, you know? Your Dono for 14, you know, that'll be interesting. Stroman uh, in the in the calculator is 13. But again, I think, you know, that's the kind of guy that that is going to get auctioned above he's, that. Yeah, he's so. going to be up in that Salazar range, maybe even higher. He might be pushing so my, 20 bucks. My staff, and, and I've now made it impossible for this to be my staff by saying this publicly, <laughs> but my staff is going to be something like Chris Archer, and my second is going to be like Colin McHugh. 
And then my third will hopefully be like, you know, a little bit bit more upside to pair with McHugh, you know? So then, you know, what I'm doing is Archer's my ace, McHugh's my horse, and then I've got, you know, shopping out of the McCullers, Gossman, Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, Carlos Rodon territory where I'm not buying dollar pitchers. I'm buying $5 Exactly. I think $5 pitchers are are way better. You may be supplementing the back end of the rotation with uh, with some of these next guys that we're going to talk about. This is now jumping down another uh, tier or so. But we're we're talking about a handful of young young youngish guys that are interesting, and the first one is somebody that I really like, but I'm just I'm nervous about the health piece. That's Jesse Hahn. We've now seen two good half seasons. Yet you, you, you smash it all together. It's 170 innings of a 3.23 ERA with a 119 WHIP, 18 uh, excuse me 19% strikeout rate. Two vastly different strikeout rates, though. 23% with the Padres in 14, but then just 16% last year. However, the trade-off was the walk rate. It adds up to an 8%, but it was 11% with, with San Diego, and then down to 6% with Oakland. So he's kind of all over the map, and then his season was shortened last year to just 16 starts because of uh, a forearm strain, I believe. And he just kind of ended the season that way. There, I don't think there was any surgery behind it or anything like that. So... That makes Jesse Hahn a little bit nerve-wracking, but if he comes into spring training and he's pitching and it looks like he's going to be healthy, I'm pretty interested in him. What, what do you think of Jesse Hahn out in Oakland? Yeah, you know, he the, – I think the good news is he actually did throw a little bit before the end of the season. So it wasn't just uh, disappeared you know, from the face of the planet, there was a, a little buzz around the office in Oakland that he, that he was throwing and, and he felt better again. So, you know, only a hundred innings. He has had Tommy John surgery before, has always been thought of as injury prone, throws that, that curveball a lot. And, you know, there's, there's some, some risk there, but, you know, I've always liked him because I think the shape of his changeup is good. Uh, you know, and uh, I thought he could he could trust it, and he did. I mean, he trusted it last year, and uh, I think, you know, it's hard to see what the benefit was because it only got 10% whiffs, but it got a ton of grounders, even more than a sinker, and, you know, he, he used the sinker a lot too, so he really took a step forward, I think, even if his ground ball rate only went up 2%. I think that's a hard 2% to get. You know, it's not like going from 42 to 44%. This was 50 to 50, you know, 50 to 53% basically. That's you're starting to push up against the elite ground ballers exactly. in the league. So, uh, you know, I think uh the 270 bab if he's shown throughout his career, if he if he has like a 53 to 55% sort of um ground ball rate, I think he can actually have like a 270 280 bab and so I think the steamer 301 BABIP is a little bit aggressive. And I, honestly, like a four ERA and a one three three whip, I, I just I don't really get this projection at all. I'm with you. I don't know why. You know, he's had a three four, three five whip. I don't know a FIP. I don't know why his FIP projection goes to three three point eight eight. Um and uh, you know, I'm I'm just I continue to like him better than traditional uh, ERA calculators and, and, and the things that we look at. So uh, now the strikeout rate, I'm not that excited about it. And he did give a lot away by going from the four seamer uh, to the two seamer last year. But he kept telling me that it was sort of a, a full season plan and that there would be more strikeouts later in the season. The next time he saw, you know, uh, 
the next time he saw the the, the Rangers yeah, again, you know, he was basically NL West, saying, yeah. Or AL West, excuse yeah, me. he was basically saying, I have to, I have to be, I'm doing this now and I'm going to have other things I'll do later. Uh, and he's proven that that curveball, I mean, he got 10% swing strikes in with the Padres using a lot of that curveball. So if he is healthy, he can throw the curveball more. He can throw the high four seamer more. He can get some more whiffs. And I think he can add even a little bit more than the seven per nine he's projected for. So I, I give him something like a, League average strikeout rate, 20% or so. I'll give him like a 53% ground ball rate again, a good walk rate. And I think that all adds up to like 3.6, 3.7 kind of uh, ERA as a floor even. And then you got this park factor, which I think isn't being used very well here. I don't know why. I just don't see him as a four ERA guy. I think he's going to be better than that. I'm with you there. Uh, Andrew Heaney was a guy who had a disastrous debut in 2014. It was 29 innings. There was no reason to really give it too much weight. Uh, and then he got traded over to the Angels and ended up having a, a pretty good, you know, full debut there. Full-ish, I guess. 106 innings, 349 ERA, 120 whip. Strikeout rate wasn't great. It's never been expected to be, though. Uh, he's He's been one of those uh, guys who, even at a young age, is already maybe kind of a crafty lefty, if you will. We all know what that connotation means. Doesn't have overpowering stuff, but can uh, has that polish, has that pitch ability, kind of knows what he's doing, works with his sequencing, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. I think this is maybe my version of Han then because I kind of I kind of tend to like him a little bit more than the projections do. I, I also see a little bit of growth where he could get to that 20% strikeout rate level. Not not really higher. I don't think that Heaney is going to bust out and be some 23, 25% strikeout rate guy. But I really do like him. I'm uh, going to be going into his age 25 season. How do you feel about him? Is there another level or, or do we kind of see maybe the best uh, of, of what we can get from him with his ratios in 2015? He's he's interesting because he, he he pulled me aside. We did an interview and he pulled me aside at the end of the interview and was like, "Tell me more about spin rates. What what about this? What can I read about this? What can you know? How can I learn about more about spin rates?" And um, so I think he wants to learn, and I think that was a good sign in terms of makeup and and how you know dedicated he is to his craft and how much he wants to improve. So you know those are intangibles. We don't talk about them very often, but uh, there is something there. That uh, if if dedication to his craft can get him there, then then he's gonna he's gonna do it. And another thing that I think is interesting is that him asking about he was asking about ride in particular and rise on the fastball and 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 that sort of thing. And if you've seen him pitch, he he kind of has a, a I would say a lower uh, three quarters type slot. It's not quite it's not like a low low slot, but it's a it's a bit of a it's not sidearm, but it's yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Bumgarner. Okay. It's a little bit sort of three a quarters and a little bit slingy, not probably not as far down as Bumgarner. Uh, but what's interesting is that he gets about average rise on his um, on his on his uh, sinker. It, it has a little bit more rise than usual. And I bet you that that hitters would say that they're that they're a little bit surprised sometimes by his fastball because, you know, especially given. Yeah, if you look at his horizontal movements, he definitely has uh, uh, one of those release points because he has 10, 11 inches of horizontal movement. So in terms of a sinker and a change, they, 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 there is a sweeping kind of movement. Um, and yet he pairs that with an interesting um, vertical drop on his sinker that, that suggests that it's almost riding for a sinker, which is a very weird combo. Um, and... Uh, 
yeah, I think that could lead to a couple more strikeouts. I think, uh, you know, he, he showed that he showed more strikeouts in the minor leagues. And uh, I think it's not one of those pure stuff type things. I think it's he's going to figure out how to use his stuff best exactly. and, uh, and kind of chop it up better. So good command. We know that he even cleaned up his command with the, with some delivery stuff that they did. And um, he thought there was a little bit of a potential for a little bit more velocity uh, because they made him go straight to the plate more. And if you look at with the Marlins and the angels, he, he gained a, a take of velocity and that's, that's going to be big because he went from average lefty velocity to average righty velocity. Uh, meaning he has above average velocity. It looks like 91 miles an hour. You're like, eh, but for a lefty, uh, that's actually above average velocity. So good home park. I would say that he's a decent floor guy with a little bit more um, upside than people give him credit yeah, for. Yeah, a tick of upside for sure. Now we got two post-type sleepers that uh, our composites had right next to each other at 90 and 91. That's Matt Moore and Trevor Bauer. Moore, you know, returned last year from Tommy John. It really didn't go well initially. He went back down uh, to the minors, came back up. It still didn't really necessarily go well right when he got back, but then he closed with four big starts that kind of reminded folks, hey, remember when he was a top prospect and, and this is what he can be, but it's four starts. Uh, you know, Even if he'd been great for all 12 starts that he threw last year, Matt Moore, it, it still would have only been 12 starts. So we can't get too crazy, but the pedigree's there. Trevor Bauer is a guy who we, we, we saw him just kind of dominate uh, with the – strikeout rate in the minor leagues and kind of overcome the fact that he was walking the whole yard. We've only seen it in flashes as a major leaguer, but he did complete his, his first, you know, truly full season, 30, 30 turns through the rotation, 176 innings. And again, had those, those runs where, okay, we understood why there was the hype, but by the season's end, it was still a 455 ERA and a 131 whip because he walked too many damn guys and, uh, you know, gave up too many homers, but 25 years old, Pick your favorite of these two post-type sleepers, but still give us a couple thoughts on both. I think it's an interesting question here because one of those guys is, was, was hurt. And the, the reason that he's a post-type sleeper is because we haven't actually seen him put together what he used to have before he was hurt. Now, you know, if they were both fully healthy, I think you would take more because he's shown more. More. Definitely, oh, definitely. God. No, no. It, yeah, the, it's, uh, it's hard not to not, hard not to go with that when you're talking about somebody with the last name more. Right, right. So he's shown us more, and uh, and and Bauer hasn't really shown us a full season of of what could be. Now, I don't know though because I think Moore looked like he was done. Oh. When, yeah. when he was first going uh, it, during the comeback, I was like, oh, my goodness, I am so out right now. And honestly, uh, I was out on him at the start of last year because I just don't mess with the TJ returns. This is another reason, by the way, that I'm I'm nervous about Darvish. Granted, Darvish has had has shown way more than anything uh, Matt Moore has shown in the majors. I get that. But even like Jose Fernandez came back, he was he was elite right away, but he got hurt. And so that's why I am just generally out on TJ returns unless they're doing like the 18 month thing like Matt Harvey was. Go ahead and continue on, on Moore and Bauer. Yeah, and. One thing that is the fin most finicky thing, and one of the most more finicky things in baseball, is that rise on the fastball and the and the the matching up that what I was talking about with matching up the spin rates. Like I, you know, I've talked to a bunch of people 
and they have theories about you know how to get more spin on your curveball, how to get less spin on your changeup, things like that. And they and they've actually sort of shown how to do those things. There's nobody. There's a lot of theories. Colin McHugh told me throw it through the catcher's mask. Uh, uh, Kurt Schilling says you know really dig into the seams, this and that, all this stuff. And uh, they've tried it over a drive line. They've tried to to create. Uh, more backspin on the four seam, and they can't do it. So, you know, seeing Matt Moore used to have, you know, top rise in the game on his on his fastball, and that gave his change like a big separation in terms of uh, in terms of movement between his four seam and his change. Now, uh, that's what's gone completely for Matt Moore. He 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 now has an average four seam in terms of rise, and you know that's. Had a that's had a big deal of a difference in terms of whiff percentage because he used to have uh, on this on his four seam used to have double digit whiff rates and that was a big part of what made everything hum because he needs to strike people out because he didn't have great command you know first three months he came back uh, the first two months he came back the four seam didn't sniff anything like what he used to have now in September it was a little bit closer you know some of his movements look a little bit better. In, in September, so. but you know he's. I think he's. Uh, I I just I'm so nervous about him now. Trevor Bauer, I I don't know. I uh, I I have a hard time separating. I love the guy. He's a gruff. He's he's uh a, just, he's opinionated. He's, he he doing. He wants to do it his yeah. way. And I I'm I'm with you in terms of I like the guy as well. I, I watch Trevor Bauer speak. He does his YouTube videos. He's out on Twitter, and it's hard not to like him. Yeah. And you watch him struggle. You're like, damn. But it's it's in there too. Again, he did show runs where you're like, okay, this is the Trevor Bauer who was drafted third overall. He's got the big strikeout capability, but my God, he has like 38 pitches. You know, variations of everything, and the consistency is, is just not there. You know, I was talking about Pineda earlier where you see one start and he's giving up one run, one hit and striking out 10. And then the next start, the Phillies are blasting him for eight runs. Bauer was the same kind of guy. You know, you can go look through his game log and you'll see three outings in a row of one run with 10 strikeouts, eight strikeouts, seven strikeouts, and then six, five earned runs back to back right away. So it's just that guardrail, the guardrail that makes it so frustrating. He, he says the right things. When I talk to him about it, he says, you know, I'm trying to uh, simplify my arsenal and try to really focus on the, the pitches that work for me, get, get those pitches right and get them repeatable and, and, and work that way towards better command. So he, he, he has a plan. And, you know, when I talked to him about why it wasn't working, he, was, he was said stuff like, well, you know, it's really hard to repeat your delivery all the way through the season. Because, for example, uh, velocity changes over the course of the season. Between March and August, like I was saying, that that Mike Fast piece is about a mile, mile and a half difference. So if you've got a, a mile and a half difference in velocity, that means the pitch arrives at the plate quicker. There's less time to move. That means it's mo- it's moving differently because there's less time to move. You're catching it. The catcher's catching at a different point in the pitch's life cycle, right? So even if Everything else was the same, just based on the differences in velocity. You would have to you'd have to make an adjustment somehow to to command that pitch better. And so he said, on top of that, the 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 delivery itself has so many moving parts that I can't. In the middle of the season, if my command starts to go, I I can't 
I don't have the same tools I have in the off season where, and I've seen that where he trains now in the off season where they can take a video of him with, you know, high motion cameras that have been set up to, to be the same all the time. So you can look at two videos that are set up on the same camera in the same way. So you can look at exactly what he's, he's doing in his delivery at every moment and sync it up, you know, so that that sort of thing he can do in the off season. So if growth is going to come from Bauer, it's going to come in the off season. So if he, if, and he also made a great point last spring, he didn't walk anybody. Yeah, exactly. He had a, he had a great exactly. Spring. It looked like uh, I think that got some folks hyped on him too because uh, I think strikeout and walk rates are, are some of the spring training numbers that actually can can mean something. And so there was some excitement around him, and and then it, it didn't come to fruition. You know, 4.55 ERA. That's not working out for you even in an AL only because it's not like he was striking out 10 per nine. He had 170 strikeouts in 176 innings. That's okay, but it's not elite. I, in mixed leagues, I don't want to be anywhere near these guys as much as I love Trevor Bauer. Hope you're not listening. Um, uh, in American League only, I'll um, I'll take I'll take a shot on Trevor to because he's you know it's another season in the off season with with drive line, another season where he in the off season where he can spend a full full off season you know analyzing what he's doing, what he's doing wrong, what he's doing right, and um, you know, I won't give him the longest leash or anything, but um, you know, back end, you know, dollar type guy. I think uh, the nice thing is the strikeouts are there. Definitely. You know, it's it's a good thing to start with. You want to start with the strikeouts, and um, you know, twenty five years old is not old. Nope. You know, there's so pedigree. there's still a chance. Stuff. And the and the yeah the pedigree and the projections are not bad. Four sixteen, one thirty five is is probably right around the placement level for AL only. So. Um, and, and in terms of inning, like getting that with innings is, is, uh, is interesting. So, you know, add that to hopefully some growth or, or some, some adjustments he's making this off season. I could see him developing into, into a better pitcher, but, uh, yeah, both of these, uh, are a little bit, uh, hard to bet, to Something bet on. that I, I talk about when we're, when we're like identifying aces is, is your ace pitchers, that guy who gives up. Five runs in the first inning, but still gives you seven innings. You know, I think Scherzer did that a couple times last year. Uh, you know, they still go six or seven innings, even though they got blasted in the first or even the second. And it's it's those mid-tier or below guys who wind up being out after one or two innings uh, or, or not even getting to the fifth. Well, Trevor Bauer last year had eight starts under five innings and, and he was absolutely obliterated in those there were 12 guys who had uh that many or more mike pelfrey quote unquote led the league with 10 all by himself <laughs> then you got oh my god this is really bad um chris tillman drew hutchison and shane green all had nine i i think i gave a pretty big recommendation on all three of those guys last year Sweet life. <laughs> chris heston was also there with nine and then a, and then a group of guys with eight including a couple of surprising names scott casimir and, and jason hamill who actually had pretty good seasons and bauer was in that group of eight when you're looking at but all of those guys don't have the leash what you're saying like all those guys don't have the leash where you're going to be let, left in the game after that. exactly exactly and they're not and they also haven't shown that they can kind of get through it. But you're looking at those 12 guys who had at least eight of those starts, and Bauer's 17 ERA was actually easily the worst. So he was 
really getting blasted. When he's off, he's way off, and that's the problem. He needs to figure out a way, like you said, works in the offseason, maybe look at those starts, figure out what went so wrong on those starts. A lot of times he walks four or five guys in those games and just cut some of those outings. Just cutting some of those, and even if you're adding you know, three innings to five of them could really cut the ERA, three clean innings, obviously. Um, I, I think there's plenty of room for growth with Bauer. I think if I'm choosing between the two, I think I'm with you on Bauer, but I'm, I'm not shying off of Matt Moore quite as much as you. Maybe it's because of the love affair I had with him back. You know, uh, I bought in very early on him and went way too hard on that 2012 season. So maybe I'm just uh, Stockholm Syndrome and I can't quite leave him yet. <laughs> the projections are, are ridiculous, though. Steamer hasn't projected for a 335, uh, 3.35 walk rate. Uh, he For Matt Moore? I don't. Where's yeah. that coming from? He's got an 11% career mark, which is probably point one or two, right? He, well, yeah, he's got, yeah, 4.1 walk rate for his career. And the, the, I mean, maybe it's reaching back last year in 63 innings to 3.3, but um, that seems like a weird sample to draw upon, exactly. especially since he was so bad. If you look at the 150 and 177 inning samples in 2012 and 2013, that's when he, he walked four plus walks uh, batters per nine. So yeah, I think, uh, I think projections are going to lead some people astray on more. I, maybe I'll give them the, the eight strikeouts per nine, but uh, I'm going to give them a lot more walks than that. Um, and then if you add in the homers, I think he, I think they're both basically four ERA guys, but I'm going to bet on the guy who's healthier uh, and has put together, you know, two straight bigger yeah, seasons, definitely, you know, definitely healthier right now. I, I, it's bigger in terms of like, uh, you know, innings. I, and I, stuff. To, I totally get that. Um, and then there'll be, there'll be, chic sleepers for folks i think coming into the year uh that each will have their own camp of guys that want to get them okay we got two more guys again jumping down uh probably another tier or two into some super deep sleepers um martin perez was a legit big time prospect i mean he when he was coming up he was supposed to be kind of the cat's pajamas and uh it hasn't really panned out that way it, due in large part to the fact that he has just a 15 percent strikeout rate as a major leaguer in 292 innings now injuries have played a role um in limiting him to just 292 innings because that's across four years he's never had more than 20 starts in a season so maybe it's just a sample size issue right now that has kept perez from really getting going it's gonna only be 25 this year it feels like he's been in the consciousness for a really long time there was a prospect fatigue i think with him after a while because he was you know slowly making his way up the minor league ladder and people were just like well when's this guy ever going to pan out and you know the results are they're they're not that uh excellent right now with a 422 era and a 140 whip but i got a little bit of hope for him because i really like that big ground ball rate that he's that he's been showing but uh where, where do you come out on martin perez accounting for the fact that we know he needs to stay healthy what let's let's give him some health um, or, or build that risk. It, it's built into the price. So don't focus so much on that. Where do you stand on Martin Perez's skills? I have not now, nor have I ever liked Martin Eat Perez. Eat it, Martin Perez. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I've, I've had him pegged as a fastball changeup guy from the get-go, never liked his breaking balls, and his breaking balls have not improved in shape or outcome since he's been in the league. And uh, all he does is give up home runs on the on the curveball, and uh, gives up tons of balls in play. The slider, you know, does get a good ground ball rate, but that's not traditionally what you want out of a slider. So 
I don't think that you necessarily want to to. Um, in fact, I have correlations here that I might be able to uh, say something interesting about. I actually correlated every pitch type peripheral to overall outcomes. Okay. What what'd you find? And um, uh, so I did that for my Arsenal score stuff, and I found that for the slider, the uh, if you're if let's say you're let's link it to Sierra, your the swinging strike rate on your slider is has a 0.36 correlation to your, uh, your overall Sierra. This, the ground ball rate on your slider has a .06. So basically, your swing strikes are six times more important than your ground balls when it comes to Sierra. So, uh, so yeah, so it's not something that we want to uh, clap them on the back for, basically. It's having a good ground ball rate on the slider. And the curveball is a little bit less. No, the curveball is even crazier. The curveball swing strike rate, 3.997. Uh, the curveball ground ball rate 0.06. So both of those things, you want to get some swing strike rates, swing strikes on. He's not doing it. He has a really nice four seam, uh, good velocity, and he has a really nice changeup, and that's why he's still in the league because he's able to get opposite handers out. But he's kind of a John Danks oh. guy, you know, with maybe a little bit better natural command. Yeah. That's a bummer. I mean, it fits. It fits what you're saying for sure. It, it's it's not even. It's like recent vintage John Danks because because the the <laughs> pre injury and the injuries just kind of devastated John Danks and turned him into kind of uh, barely hanging on to twenty third, twenty fourth, twenty fifth guy on the roster type. Um, with what he's been doing lately, maybe a little bit better than that as a major leaguer. They can get innings out of him, but it's not special at all. 475, 474, 471 the last three years with putrid strikeout rates, too many homers. If that's what Perez is, that's and not going to work. Some, and I think, yeah, I think some managers will even start doing the reverse, um, the reverse platoon thing yep. with them where they start putting some lefties in the lineup. I mean, Martin Perez's uh, swing strike rate overall last year was six, uh, 7.5. And if I go to the leaderboards um, for plate discipline and reverse sort for swing strike rate, that would have made him uh, 11th worst in the big leagues, right between Aaron Harang, Tom Kohler, Baldo Jimenez and Kyle Hendricks. Now, Kyle Hendricks is an interesting name because he still managed to get a lot of strikeouts, but I don't give Martin Perez the same kind of command exactly. of Kyle Hendricks. And then Kyle Hendricks has two change-ups, so he actually has balls that he can kind of cut in different directions. I don't give Perez that. that, that uh, Alfredo Simone. Oh, these are uh, terrible names. Chris Tillman, Brett Anderson. And so Brett Anderson, okay, like, could you have a sort of Brett Anderson outcome? Sure, Brett Anderson has like a 65% well, ground ball Yeah, rates. and Perez might be headed that way, though. He's actually increased it almost every year in the majors and then 60% last year for Perez. So maybe that's kind of the, the rosy scenario. But if that's your rosy All scenario, right. it ain't I'll give, you, I'll give you somewhere between John Danks and Brett yeah, Anderson. That's poop. Okay, well, we got to move on then. We got we got our last <laughs> guy here. This is somebody we talked about a lot last year. I think both of us you know, kind of liked him at, at the back end of a rotation. And the skills were still pretty much in line with what we saw in his 2014 breakout. But the results went way far away. And it was due to one thing in particular. The one thing that actually worried me about Matt Shoemaker was home runs. Because when he leaves it up 
it is gone. I mean, there, there, there's just kind of this line. If you kind of look at the the strike zone, and there's a line kind of just above the upper, th- uh, the bottom third of the zone. And if he was above that, it was a long ball from anybody. I remember this Omar and Fonte Grand Slam that he gave up. Obviously, that's a one-off anecdote, but it just seemed that anybody could go yak on him if he was putting it just a little bit above the bottom third of the zone. He needs to live under the zone, Shoemaker does, and he had trouble with that. He almost threw uh, you know, maybe too many strikes because they weren't great strikes. That, that's a thing where he's a control versus command kind of guy. Uh, so even though the skills, again, they didn't really go too far off of what he did in 2014, but his ERA raised nearly a run and a half, and the whip went up 0.2. Uh, almost 0.2 from 107 to 126. Never was a big prospect, going to be 29 years old, but there is room to play because they don't have a ton of guys out there in L.A. Where do you currently stand on Matt Shoemaker? You know, I, want, I was looking at his home away splits real quick just to see if maybe he's much more usable at home. And he did last year have a better home run rate at home, but it was 1.5 per nine instead of 1.7 per nine. So I don't know if that's what uh, you were looking for. No, not really. He also got a lot more strikeouts at home, which is interesting because I think that the rocks out in center field make for a bad batting eye and actually increase uh, strikeouts in, in L.A., so that's uh, in Anaheim. So that's, a, that's an interesting little side, side note there. And also could explain a little bit of why – Shoemaker had mass strikeout rates in the minors and then came to the major leagues and and uh, has bad, better strikeout rates in the major leagues than he ever had in the minors. So um, I think that uh, last year is a bit of a, a floor situation and only that if he does that again, he's out of baseball basically yeah, So or, or reliever. Or so, relief. yeah, so, um, you know, I don't think he can be as bad as he was last year again. And you know, here's an interesting thing. His average fastball height for the four seam and the sinker actually dropped last year. Really? So, you know, he didn't – it doesn't mean that the shape of his pitches didn't – you know, like, it doesn't mean that he wasn't up in the zone more often. You know, he could have been further down and further up, you know. Um, there's The distribution of his pitches is obviously was not ideal last year. But I think that even for a guy who's had strikeout uh, home run problems, uh, 1.6 for the year is, is extreme. And if you made him last year much more normal if, to himself, like a 1.2 or 1.3, like the kind of stuff he's projected for, he would have actually been close to usable last year. I mean, a 1.26 whip, especially in American League only, is, is not bad. You know, in the 4.46 ERA, you know that you'd, you'd be taking some off of that. You'd probably make it like a 4.1 and a 1.25 kind of guy. And uh, that's that's in your sort of Bauer group of uh, interesting kind of um, volume guys at the back end of your rotation with a little bit of upside. So I don't hate on him completely. I'm not uh, completely out on him. Yeah, it- uh, I do know that the margin for a guy – at 90 miles an hour in the American League is difficult, but um, he has a good split finger. And that's kind of what worries me, by the way, about a full season of Mike Fires in the AL as well. You know, uh, when you have that low velocity, the margin for error does shrink a little bit. But the thing of it is, my, Matt Shoemaker just does not have a high profile. And I don't think there's a lot of folks that are in on him. So you're talking, honestly, about a dollar pitcher. 
And with these skills at a buck coming off of a bum year, I'll take a shot that he pushes back toward uh, what he's done for his career, which is, you know, 368 ERA. I don't know if the whip's going to get all the way back down to not the 107 of 2014 or even the 116 that he's had for his career. But again, if you're somewhere in that low 120s, even the mid 120s for AL only, that can work. And he doesn't kill you with the strikeout rate. A lot of times the, the issue with guys with Shoemaker's profile, the low velocity, more command uh, and control types are that they have terrible strikeout rates. But his is, his has been fine. You know, 23% and 14, 20% last year. I can deal with that for a buck. So he's somebody that I'll at least keep in mind. I'm not going to be seeking him out. But like you said, I'm not running away from him either. All right, you know, that's going to wrap us up for the week. Uh, we're finishing. We'll have to do like an NL. The same, uh, yeah, I'll do the same thing. I'll, I'll go, go through those same tiers that same general area of the rankings which was probably about 25 to 100 or so and pull out 10 nl guys to talk about because since we only got to wayne right and i know you nl only guys are like come on man i want to hear i want to hear more <laughs> about uh jimmy nelson i want to hear more about uh alex wood and and mike leak and robbie ray and we'll get to those types don't don't worry about it we'll do another pitching episode soon also like i said we will get to an all email episode please send your questions for that that's sleeperpod at gmail.com jason and i'll be back probably early on sunday we're at least recording early on sunday i can't promise that it will be posted early on sunday but at least you'll have it either before the super bowl or after if that's something that you choose to watch you know are you doing anything special for the super bowl or are you just chilling this weekend i'm having people over oh thanks for my uh, info i guess uh, I, I guess you'd call it a super bowl party but the funny thing is i don't think that any of us are going to be watching much of the game <laughs> none of us really care that much about football and the reason I was even texting one of my friends, and he said, "You know, uh, I'm mostly watching for <laughs> the commercials. Uh, I'm 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 mostly watching to bear witness to the blatantly racist hyperbole concerning the high quarterbacks, <laughs> also the commercials. So, uh, and I wrote back, yeah, I mostly just want you guys to come. Yeah, over. yeah, you just want your friends to come over and drink <laughs> some beers. No, he's sadly dead on in terms of uh, of the way the quarterbacks are treated specifically. Cam, we don't need to dive into all of that. First off, this isn't even a football podcast. It's also not a social issues podcast. But uh, I do think it is uh, a lot of a lot of BS, kind of the way it's handled. Do you have anybody that you uh, would feel better about winning? I know you don't care that much about the game, but do you do you have a lean either way? Uh no, I, I mean I yeah I'd like Cam Newton win. I'm I, I'm I'd, I'd like that to happen. I actually, I actually I, would I, too, but uh, I say take Denver in the points if you, if you are if you are going to put any of your jelly beans on it. Even though uh, if I'm if I'm rooting for anybody rooting in quotes, it would definitely be the Panthers and Cam Newton. I I happen to like his uh, his flash. I know who's I know who's going to win though is me and my friends drinking this beer because <laughs> I. I, I got uh, when I was up in Seattle, I got some beers, so I got like a Fremont Dark Star, which is a crazy thick stout. Uh, while I was gone in Seattle, a couple packages arrived, so I actually have Heady Topper here, which is the Beer Graphs number one beer, and then I also uh, got a package of Treehouse stuff and some East Coast beers, some Maine beers, and then today I even went and I don't know, I don't even know why I did it, but I bought some backup beers, so I bought some uh, Pineapple Sculpin, so. Uh, you know, I've got, and I've even got some sip of sunshine from Lawson. So I, my beer fridge, right? I call it peak beer fridge. 
uh, and uh, it's all downhill from here. Well, I, that actually sounds like uh, like a lot of fun to get into all those beers. I hope you and your friends have fun. I'll be watching the game with my sister, brother-in-law, and niece. It's actually my brother-in-law's birthday, so we'll be chilling. But uh, otherwise, nice. it's gonna be a baseball-filled weekend. And honestly, I, 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 one thing I love about the Super Bowl. It's kind of a weird thing. It's not football related at all. It's the fact that it ends. It's it stamps the end of the football season, and That's you know, right. for those of you that haven't quite turned the page yet, you kind of give all give your all to football until it's a hundred percent done. You're going to be ready to join us. Join us at the baseball party on Monday. So that that Monday after the Super Bowl is a great day for us baseball nerds because we get all the the split guys, the guys who divide their attention between both sports. They officially are on board for baseball, and we really start to kick it into high gear. Even though we here at Fangraphs and Rotographs have already been dominating the uh, the preseason here, the the off season, if you well, will. Speaking of which, we're we're finishing up all of the the uh, last edits on the uh, player caps. So those should go up. A lot of good stuff and in there, by the way. I've been doing some of the editing. Instead of making you pay for that this year, um, every there's going to be 1,200 player caps on the player pages, rotographs branded, all for free. So anytime you bring up your, your player, you get a little bit of that analysis on the player page. And then we're going to have a week of research on the Hardball Times, where we're gonna, you know, replicate that sort of Fangraphs uh, style research towards uh, uh, fantasy stuff, we're gonna replicate that over at the Hardball Times uh, for a week. So you're gonna get five uh, great pieces, which include Jeff Zimmerman on what types of pitchers uh, flag in the second half, what types of pitchers fall off in the second half. Um, Mike Podhortzer on on predict projecting strand rate. Uh, we're going to have a thing about making your own points league values, uh, an in-depth thing on that. Um, and, and you've got a piece that you're working on about uh, stolen bases, we're I think. We're trying uh, to figure it out. Hey, it's a big topic right now. Everyone knows that they're way down. And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, I want to see if we can figure out kind of what's going on with that. Maybe if there's an upturn coming. Uh, I, I think there might be, but uh, we'll get into more of that. Also, don't forget, the playing time battles, I think those are, are, are dominating right now. Uh, the whole team is putting those together. If you go on the sidebar uh, under draft tools, playing time battles, I got all the teams listed there, the hitters and the pitchers. The the ones that are bold are the ones that you can click. Um, you know, Some teams are fully done. Toronto, you can look at the hitters and the pitchers. Same with Washington, Arizona, Kansas City. And then a bunch of teams have one side or the other done, either the hitters or the pitchers. And the latest one, actually, uh, Paul Costa put up the Mets hitters that one should be a good one because like you he's a Mets fan so you know kind of getting in there he knows the 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 deep end of it kind of the way we trust Colette with everything Rays based uh Costava's in there on the Mets so a lot of great stuff going um and we got a lot more that's the best part is that we're really just scratching the surface so stick with us we're on our new schedule so actually you will you will hear Eno and I much sooner than than normal we'll be right back on Monday um, to kind of, you know, kick off the the end of that football season right into bringing all the all those football people back into baseball, and we'll we'll be off and running. Until then, you know, have a great weekend. Yes, you too. Thanks for listening.